This episode of 1801 Live was originally recorded during a 12-hour podcast-a-thon streamed live on August 28th from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. The Give Black Podcast-a-thon benefited U of SC's One Creed, One Carolina campaign, which supports initiatives that elevate and encourage black students, faculty, and staff. Together, our five hosts and over 20 guests helped raise more than $10,000 for the campaign over 12 hours. Find more information on the podcast-a-thon and the link to donate at www.garnetmedia.org slash giveblack. So my goodness, you all have a big day of, of really terrific speakers ahead, and already you've had a lot of great things. I had a chance to, to catch the last segment a little bit. Yes. Okay, perfect. So I just would like for you to give a brief introduction of yourself before we get into the details of all the amazing things you have done and the experiences that you had at the university. Okay, introduction. So um, my name's Kiana Whitted. I'm a professor at USC in English and African American Studies. I'm also director of the African American Studies program. This is my third year doing that. And um, in my work in the English department, I'm a scholar of African American literature and comic books. So it's a combination a lot of people find interesting and odd. Um, I work in that area, particularly looking at issues related to race and history and genre and comics. And I do a few other things uh, professionally in terms of the field of comic studies scholars. Awesome. That's very, I would love for you to talk more about um, comics and, and okay. your, your involvement with that, because that's something you don't really hear every day. So I'd love for you to go into that a little more. Sure. It isn't something you hear every day. And I mean, I got here at USC 16 years ago, which is a long, long time. What were y'all doing 16 years ago? I mean, that was early, what, elementary school or? Yeah, something. something. No, <laughs> something like not elementary. We were in <laughs> high school. I had a car, so. <laughs> really? 16 years ago. So, yeah. So when I got here 16 years ago um, to teach African-American literature and cultural studies, um, I asked my wonderful department chair and undergraduate director if I could do a Maymester class on uh, comic books, particularly Neil Gaiman's Sandman. It didn't necessarily have much to do with African-American studies, but it was an interest that I had because I'm a comic book reader. So they let me do that one summer. It started to turn into every summer. It started to turn into a class I would teach during the year. And so now I teach a comics class every year. I've been doing that at USC. And I started to take my work in African-American literature and apply some of those same ideas to comic books. So um, I look at, in my last book, I look at some of the ways that uh, race and social justice and other messages are represented in a comic book company from the 1950s. Um, I also look at 
some house and historical events and comics are, are represented through that distinctive form because uh, we're really just talking about narrative drawings and uh, you know words and pictures. So I looked, I wrote an essay about the way comics have represented Emmett Till. Um, you would think of all things, given the day we're on today, um, that Till wouldn't necessarily be a subject for comic books. But as it turns out, there, were, there are, have been several people who have represented him in comics and graphic novels, mostly um, historical comics. Um, but there's a really terrific comic strip that came out uh, in, in 1956, 58. Oh, my dates are getting, I gotta, I gotta, it's too early in the morning. Um, called Tommy Traveler in the World of Negro History, which was actually done by a former USC professor, Tom Feelings, who was also a children's book illustrator. And it came out in the New York age. So he had a strip there where this kid named Tommy Traveler would travel back in time. And so he would meet people like Frederick Douglass and all sorts of things like that. And it was like, you know, six, seven panel comic strip. And so um, so in 55, it was 55, things are getting clearer. Um, Tommy goes to Mississippi and he goes into this corner or general store that we know the story and uh, his friends are talking to him. And at the end of the strip, he asked about that kid who's about to go into the store and his friends are telling him, you know, I don't, that's, that's Bobo, that's our friend. And I don't think I like what's going to happen here, right? So, and then the strip sort of ends. They show Carolyn Bryant a little bit. But the, the comic was intended as a kind of message, because this was a children's comic strip, for kids to be careful, but also to speak up against injustice where they could. At the end of the strip, it acknowledges that what happened to him can't be taken back. And so it's really powerful to see that medium talk about something so heavy that would have been all over the newspapers at the time because the trial was taking place, um, but to sort of translate it for younger audiences. So I don't know if I talked too long about comics, but. Yeah. Well, that's amazing because I still uh, wanted to highlight the huge award that you just received for your book. And so if you could talk a little oh, yeah. bit about that, the process, um, that is amazing. And I know that I've heard from many students, just I've always heard about your class that you offered, um, connecting these two topics together. So sure. talk about the award and then also the class and how that sparked. Okay, so um, yeah, so the book that I spent the last five years writing is the one I mentioned before that focuses on a, a, a publisher from the 1950s, um, also in New York called EC Comics. And they're known for uh, horror and crime and science fiction comics. So if you know Tales from the Crypt, then you know EC Comics. That was a, sh a show for um, a time. And then a lot of people also know them through Mad Magazine, which is their humor magazine. Um, in any case, so when they started producing their comics in the late 40s, they were trying to make money first and foremost. And one of the ways they, they wanted to do that was to shift away from what they, the company had been producing before, which was educational comics. And nobody wanted educational comics. 
And they said, let's do crime comics. Let's do horror comics. And they were really well known for these sensational stories and covers. They were incredibly violent. Um, but in a really interesting way, uh, they were, the art was really good. They did these elaborate science fiction stories with this wonderful, um, these monsters and everything. So, you know, your werewolves, so forth. So they were considered entertaining comics. That's what EC stands for. And it was considered fun. Now the publishers who had been through World War II were also interested in, they were also interested in social justice, right? And these are two white publishers from New York. And uh, most of the people who worked on the staff um, were white and were mostly men, uh, one woman. And so um, they decided when they would tell these stories, they also wanted to work in others that address social and political messages that, about things that were happening at the moment. And so these stories were called the Preachies and they address sometimes racism, anti-Semitism, um, anti-communist red baiting. Some of them looked at things like capital punishment. And so I talk about these stories in the book, a long story short. And uh, they, I talk about sort of what they're doing and how they're relaying these messages in a format that is, again, considered to be something for monsters and murderers, right? They're, they're figuring out a way to squeeze in a story about segregation in a suburban white neighborhood in a, story, in a book that also talks about um, monsters and aliens. And so I, I sort of talk about how they do that and some of the messages we can take from these attempts to reach audiences through these other means. So that's the, that's the book. <laughs> um, I, I was really honored to win uh, a Will Eisner Award this summer. That's from a group that gives out awards at uh, San Diego Comic-Con for best academic book. Um, and that was nice. I didn't get to go to San Diego. I really, really wanted to, but COVID. And uh, it, was, it was nice to see uh, Phil Lamar announce my name and everything. That was really nice. And uh, yeah, so, and I would also add, and then I'll say a word about the class, is um, that two other Columbia residents, Stanford Green and Chuck Brown, who works on our campus, also won an award for their really terrific comic series, Bitterroot. And that's incredible. Um, so, you know, Columbia representing. Um, <laughs> and I'll just, just say, you asked me about my class. So uh, the class that I teach, I typically teach a course, either just a kind of overview of comics and American culture or introduction to, to comics. But most often lately I'm teaching a course I'm teaching right now on race, gender, and graphic novels. And I've had a lot of students come through that class. I really enjoy it. We get to talk about what I just told you. So we talk about EC comics. We talk about, sometimes if I'm able, we talk about things like that Emmett Till strip. Um, we talk about Black Panther. We're gonna be talking about Black Panther this semester and Watchmen, and we're gonna read Bitter Root. So we bring those things in and I give the students a chance to explore some things on their own. Uh, sort of the pinnacle of my comics teaching was 2015, 2016, I got to teach this stuff to a, a pre-COVID to a room of 250 USC students and uh, not all of them knew on the first day they were going to get a comics class because it was called 
themes in American literature, but this is a theme in American literature. So they showed up and they got 16 weeks of, uh, of comics. And, and we read, for instance, John Lewis's March in that class. And it was uh, by far the favorite text of that semester. So, so that, that's basically what I, what I do in that area. I love it. And I more love that the, the theme of the class, so students probably thought one way and then walked in and got a, an amazing surprise by getting a class full of still that theme, but within comics, so more enjoyable and easier to learn and understand. But yeah. I also want to talk about your role as the director of the African American yeah. Studies Department, just how um, you decided to go about that role and what are your key insights of what you would like for this department to become while you're in the role? Sure, well, I'm honored to have taken over um, three years ago. I know that Dr. Littlefield was on the program earlier after she um, had served seven, eight years as a terrific director. Um, and so I was, she's a historian, um, and a lot of her approach and her programming, and to, to be honest, a lot of African-American studies here has been um, headed by historians. And so we always want to sort of keep that connection to the community and also to recognizing South Carolina and USC history. Um, but, you know, I'm an English professor, uh, and I, I've already shared some of the things that I do. And so... Uh, a couple of things that are important to me is to really amplify how cross-disciplinary we are in African-American studies. So it's wonderful that historians have often led the way for this program, but we also have um, professors in dance. We have criminal justice scholars. We have political scientists. We have an ethnomusicologist in our faculty, um, sociologist, and in addition to English professors, anthropologists. So it's really important for, for me to showcase that wide spectrum of what's possible in thinking about how we study African-American life and culture. Um, so that's been really important to me. Um, and I would also say that our program has been well known for um, being connected to the community and having those um, networks and the people who support us who've been a part of this program for almost 50 years. Next year, it'll be 50 years. Um, but I will say that because of the way our world is and the way things work on campus and the shift to sort of career-oriented course learning outcomes, a lot of really good, terrific, engaged students of all races don't know we're, that we're here. And so one of my goals has always been to sort of be student-centered and to provide um, a kind of, whether it's a slate of programming or courses that will let them know what they can do with this degree, whether it, we have a lot of students who go on to law school, who go into teaching, secondary education. And so just making sure that students know we're here and not just when something horrible happens. <laughs> I mean, we're here for that too, but we are also here if you you know, want to take a class on the history of sacred music, or if you want to take a class in sociology on race and ethnic relations, or, or comic books, right? So, so those would be, I would say those two are the big things that I've been trying to focus on as director. 
Yeah, I'm gonna um, actually, you've already started to touch on it, but I'm gonna um, send Lob a question okay. towards you that I already asked uh, Dr. Littlefield earlier. Um, and just kind of a more general question, um, and a kind of more of just to kind of get your opinion um, and just more of your thoughts on the importance of African-American studies as a sure. field. Um, one of the things you know we talked about earlier was African-American history is American history. You can't look at one without the other. Um, and, and there's just such now definitely a need for African-American history, it seems like, you know, across the nation. Um, but there's always been, you know, a conversation of, of the importance and the significance of, um, you know, this field. And so could you talk a little bit, I guess, about how African-American history is, you know, important to you as an educator and how you think, um, you know, this is something that we as a university, as, as a state, as a country, need to tap into more from even K through 12 and, mm -hmm. and younger up to higher education. Absolutely. And Dr. Littlefield is absolutely right. African-American history is American history uh, and vice versa. I mean, I think that, um, as I mentioned before, it's, I think there have been times when people sort of thought of African-American studies in, in just one way and put it in this one box. You, you take this class if you want some cultural enrichment. Um, and I mean that not in a necessarily in a disparaging way, but it sounds like it's an add-on, an extra, when really it should be integral to how we think about any of our careers that we, for students who may be going into any field that they take uh, from USC. I mean, I, I was, um, I'm from Virginia and I grew up around a lot of, of history myself. Um, I spent my, my time as an undergraduate at an HBCU and I, I live in, a, in an area with a lot of that history, but um, I spent high school in a place where we didn't, you know, you, you, it was Harriet Tubman and Martin Luther King and that's it. Um, and that was actually not in Virginia. That was some years I spent in Texas. So um, I, so I understand what it means to go through all of that, those formative years, and then you arrive in college and something happens or you encounter um, a reality in which not knowing our past, our history um, becomes a detriment to you. It becomes something that you, not only you're less informed, but you're less equipped to be able to talk about the world around you and what you're seeing happening. Um, and you know, I've been in classes um, not just with my comics class, but I also teach a class on slavery, literature, and culture. And a lot of times the students are very excited to, to sort of talk about things that their teachers here in South Carolina didn't get to for whatever reason. Um, I encounter students whose uh, prom was held at a plantation or who went on field trips. Like, this is something I hear a lot from students in South Carolina. They go on field trips in elementary school to a, a cotton field and they pick cotton. Like apparently that's a very common field trip for it used to be for young kids in the state. I see Hannah's nodding. And so they talk about those things or they talk about uh, the librarian who told them, we don't have any books about your history here. And so when they come to my class, they're relieved to be able to talk about these things um, and to learn and there's a little there's a little bit of um, embarrassment there like I have to catch up and I'm like no but you don't understand a lot of people most people need to know this and need to catch up 
Um, and if no one takes the time to work and talk about it openly, you're never going to acquire that knowledge. And so uh, sometimes just the confidence to be able to ask the question and to be able to explore is something that African-American studies can provide students, which is why we all say you should take at least one AFAM class while you're here, because if, if the content obviously is important, but just the confidence to be able to say, I can talk about race and apply these things to what we're seeing um, is, is important, that's invaluable. I definitely agree and I can, um, Preach to the your sentiments on students having to take these field trips. I remember those. Did you do trips. that? Yes, I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina. Okay. So when I was young, one of them, and of course, being young and a lot of the rich African American history not being taught to me through the education system, I was I was just like, okay, this is this is just a field trip. But then growing up, and I, I know going to library or even in class, like. I was just taught there was slavery, Martin Luther King, and now we're here. That 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 was now the one step one, step two, step three. And if you want to know anything about your family history or anything in between, it's lost. I don't know how it, all of it, hundreds of years got lost, but it's lost now. And yeah. so coming to the University of South Carolina, I know I told Dr. Littlefield too, she was the one that inspired me to minor in African American studies, but it gave me a, like, I, I put glasses on, like, oh my goodness, mm -hmm. I can't, there is, like, we do have records of our history, and it is accessible to me, and I can learn about the history, because for so long, through the education system and the experiences I've had, it's kind of been portrayed to me as it's lost or it's not important, and so um, yeah, really I, am grateful. I would say, I, I never forget my freshman year in college, and I thought I grew up around an area that had, again, I just already finished saying a lot of this history. My freshman year in college was the first time I read the autobiography of Frederick Douglass, Narrative of the Life of a Slave. And I remember being so hurt because it's an amazing book, one of my favorite slave autobiographies. And I was like, nobody showed this to me. Why, why didn't I get this? Why didn't I read this? And I never forgot that experience all of the things, I mean, it's a slim book, as you know, a professor or teacher could have easily worked class, but I, and I felt like there's so much that had been lost. So I kind of been catching up ever since, ever since. And I know you also are one of the members of the Presidential Commission of University History, but how is that serving in uh, that pivotal role of being a member of such a huge uh, commission. And then just throughout the years of you being at the university, you've seen the changes that have been happening, um, whether it's seasonal or it's very amplified because of this season, or even just throughout the year slowly um, with, I know Dr. Littlefield talked about the desegregation commission at one point, but yeah. how has that been for you to see all these changes and things that are going on right now? Right. So, the, I mean, the change has been really, it feels dramatic. I mean, it's been, for me, it's 16 years, and it's hard sometimes to relate to students um, who've only recently arrived. I mean, I guess all old folks say that, you know, back in my day, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, when I first arrived here, we had 
more African-American students and there was a different sort of vibe then. I mean, this is a diff that was a different historical moment in the early 2000s. Um, and there was a sense in which people, if they talked about that legacy, for instance, as the slave labor on campus or some of the important figures involved with the desegregation of the campus, it was talked about again in those boxes in this, these particular classes uh, and that was it. And there didn't seem to be any need, at least it didn't seem like it, uh, to, to go further. Um, at the same time, there was a, a really strong level of student engagement when I first arrived here that was interesting to see and has, was sort of, sort of dipped a little and then in the last five years or so has skyrocketed, which has been lovely. But uh, uh, the reasons are unfortunate, but has been really terrific. Um, and so when I first started teaching that slavery literature and culture class, we would take a tour around the horseshoe and we would point to the, the slave dwelling kitchen house behind the president's house. And the students, especially the seniors in that class would be so upset. Like there's nothing here. How come we don't know about this? Uh, one year I took the tour with Professor Donaldson who I think is gonna be on today. And the students just, I mean, these are your classmates, their mouths were hanging open for the whole tour. Things that we were pointing out about, he was pointing out to us about the buildings, about the signs on the horseshoe, about the statues there. And so um, it's nice to see that go from a class project and something talked about in different classes to an institutional level acknowledgement. I mean, those plaques aren't huge on the horseshoe, but they're, they're really significant and, and I remember being a little behind the scenes and hearing just all the detail that went into even the language that went on it, the history behind it. So, and then the statue, the greener statue. So, I mean, I feel like um, it's nice to see that that change can happen and that acknowledgement can happen. And you work so hard and you see people who've come and graduated and it's, you know, and you just get this little step. Um, I think that I've rambled a bit, but, <laughs> The important takeaway is that a lot of the big jumps are because students spoke up and they took an initiative to say more than just what uh, the faculty and the administrators were saying. And so that's the case with um, a lot of the, the markers that we're now seeing um, and, and other things that the discussion about, you mentioned the historic, history commission, the discussion about the buildings. It's when students organize and um, take part in these committees that I'm really excited to see things change. And the faculty are always behind the scenes like, yes, <laughs> you know, we speak up when we can, but when students do, we love to support what you guys are doing because it makes us feel like, okay, we can, we can help, we can help, we can do this, we can follow their lead. Um, and, and also be initiating things as well. But when the students speak up, we are, we are really excited and happy for that. Yeah, so uh, just to kind of wrap up here, uh, again, we're, we're doing what we're doing today to support the uh, One Creed, One Carolina fundraising campaign, which uh, raises money um, to benefit programs that uplift and support um, you know, the black community here at U of SC. Um, so again, if you could just talk a little bit about, you know, sure. the importance of initiatives like this and, and ways that we come together and support our Black community on campus and just how that's, you know, important. 
Absolutely. So I'm really excited about this campaign. It has been a pleasure to be able to talk to people about it over the past two months. Um, in FM Studies, we will our faculty and our students especially directly benefit um, from the gifts that people are making. In particular, we have our Grace Jordan McFadden a Student Award, and that's where um, I would encourage people to contribute to and where the funds go. That's the highest award for students in African-American studies, and it's named after the first Black tenured professor, Grace Jordan McFadden at USC, who was also a historian um, and a former director of the program as well. And so we are honored to be able to use those gifts to be able to, to reward students for, their, for doing their exceptional work here. And it was a pleasure to see all of the different funds and people who are gonna be able to get the kind of attention that uh, they, they deserve and should have been getting um, all along. You know, there are programs on campus, I'm a part of some of them, English, for example, that have anonymous donors who give hundreds of thousands of dollars for, you know, speaker series and scholarships and things like that. And philanthropy when it comes to these, a lot of these um, African-American studies and student-centered programs um, doesn't always rise to that same, same level. And it's, it's really nice to see this attention being given by, by you all and by the university to support those awards. Well, thank you so, so, so much for spending time chatting with us and sharing some of the amazing things that you have contributed to and just um, being an inspiration to not only Aiden and I, but all the viewers about all that has happened at the university and your impact on the university. But thank, thank you. you so much. If you could please continue to uh, spread this One Clean, One Carolina campaign on your social networks. And um, if you have not donated already and if you have the willingness to please 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 donate whether it's a dollar or even of course the networking um aspect is crucial as well just to get the word out for everyone to contribute in whatever way they feel is best but i really do appreciate you dr witt it's always great talking to you and i hope you have a great day thank you you too i'll be listening <laughs> thank you so much bye thank you